0: that's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DDW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: Block talk radio. Okay, you can hear that.
0: Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to fundraising success, and practical nonprofit management advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to expert nonprofit management guests on The Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share their insider tips and trade secrets in a conversational style both the experienced and novice will benefit from. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of the nonprofit coach, Ted Hart.
2: And welcome to this latest edition of the Nonprofit Coach. Thank you so much for joining us. Wow, this has been a bit of a a bumpy start for us. Uh, When we first tried to take the show live a few moments ago, uh, the servers at Blog Talk Radio um, appeared to be down. Uh, But thankfully, all the gremlins are gone, and we are here live on the Nonprofit Coach for a really, really terrific show, uh, the ultimate telephone success podcast. Uh, is being created uh, right here uh, today uh, with Anthony Alonzo as our uh, speaker and our uh, Page 2 expert. Uh, As the announcer mentioned, uh, this is a call-in show, so I hope that uh, uh, you'll call in and ask questions of Anthony when we get to Page 2, and that number is 347-324-3080. You can also, if you're super shy, uh, email me at at tedhart.com. Uh, to uh, ask your questions there. But as always here on the Nonprofit Coach, we start with page one news. And from here on page one news, we have uh, Eva Aldrich is here with us. Uh, for the CFRE Minute. Eva, first of all, thank you for your patience uh, in getting the show started. It was a little bit of a a technology glitch here. I guess those things happen. Uh, But we are now live. And Eva, welcome back to the Nonprofit Coach. Thanks so
3: much, Ted. It's always good to be
2: here. Well, it's great to have you here. So bring us up to uh, speed on what is happening over at CFRE.
3: Well, quite a few great things, Ted. First of all, we've got 158 new CFRES in the March 2007 class, so a shout out to them. And uh, we've got an eager bunch too. They're going to be in the next testing window, and that deadline's April 5th. So anyone who's wanting to be a CFRE by the middle of the year, that's your opportunity next. But beyond that's that, great. What I really, really like numbers they are. I mean we are thrilled. The CFRE community is so supportive and the fundraising community is so supportive. I mean we continue to grow and that really makes us glad because our whole purpose is is to serve the nonprofit community and make certain that fundraisers know best practices in fundraising, which is good for absolutely everyone.
2: That's right. That's right. You're uh you're deep in conference season. Uh so tell us all about uh the great contacts you're making at conference.
3: Oh, well, you are right. We are going to be a little bit of everywhere, uh, from the AFP conference in San Francisco, looking forward to that, uh, but also going to the conferences of our partners around the world with the Fundraising Institute of New Zealand, the German Fundraising Association. uh, Just, we are on the move. So uh, you can go to our, our website at CFRE.org and see our various partners. Uh, if we are not at their organiz- or conference this year, we usually will be there next year. So always feel free to get in touch with us to see where we'll be and what we, we want to communicate.
2: And that's a great way to connect with people and answer questions about how they can become actively involved in the program.
3: Absolutely, And one of the things we're really looking forward to communicating with folks as we see them and, and also um, a little closer to rollout time is that we are developing new and better ways to help individuals prepare for the CFRE exam. By the middle of this year, we are going to have a practice exam available, so that way individuals who really want to know a little bit more about What is the CFRE exam like? We'll be able to uh, have a practice exam so they can gauge where they are in terms of their uh, preparation and level of knowledge. And by the end of the year, we'll also have a a robust study guide that will be of help to them. So we're just really working um, in order to make sure that people who want to get the CFRE are well prepared and they feel they have the tools they need to be successful.
2: Well, that sounds like that gives people an opportunity to learn the way they naturally learn uh, and give them an opportunity to fit it into their busy schedules and still uh, be able to become certified.
3: Absolutely. And throughout this whole process, we are having strict firewalls between the exam development process and the educational resources process, as is required by our National Commission for Certifying Agencies Certification as a credential. So that way people know that, Again, these things are being prepared in a way that obtains, or rather, excuse me, upholds the integrity of the CFRE credential and its accreditation,
2: which is important to obviously the credibility of the certification. Uh, and the exam continues to change as the profession continues to change.
3: Absolutely, Ted. And and you know, I think one of the things that that really Um, not many people realize is that the CFRE credential is the only accredited credential for fundraisers. So that's something we are very proud of and we are pleased to put resources into because by being accredited as a credential, people can be assured that the CFRE credential is doing what it's supposed to do and that it really is a high-quality, valid credential that supports their hard work and dedication as fundraising professionals.
2: That's right. Well, very important work. Any other uh, announcements for us uh, as part of the CFRE Minute?
3: I don't think so, Ted, but I I will say on a personal note, I think you and I should get together for lunch sometime because uh, I think we are neighbors now in the same building.
2: Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yeah, we, uh, Cap America has uh, moved to 225 Reinekers Lane, uh, and we are thrilled with our new headquarters here.
3: Likewise, we are. So uh, we're on the sixth floor, so uh, we'll have to get together sometime.
2: Let's do that. Let's do that. Well, Ava, thank you so much for being on the the, uh, Nonprofit Coach today and bringing us up to date on the very important work of CFRE. Uh, And uh, just to uh, let everybody know and remind you that uh, uh, we are broadcasting live over on Facebook uh, today, uh, as we normally do, and we will add uh, CFRE.org. Uh, to uh, the comments and to the information that we share uh, on that site so that uh, you can find the website right there uh, without any problem.
3: Wonderful. Thanks so much, Ted.
2: Thank you, Ava. Uh,
3: Next up here
2: on the Nonprofit Coach on page one, we have Jen Bokoff. Uh, Jen, uh, thank you. It was really great to see you um, uh, at the uh, GMN conference um, how are you doing, and what's new over at uh, Foundation Center?
4: Yeah, it was great to see you too at what's now called the Peak Grant Making Conference. I keep saying GMN Peak too, grant. but they have their exciting yeah. new name, Peak. Yeah. So that was a big deal uh, this year. I guess year. Old,
2: old dog. I'll, I'll, I'll have to work on that. You're right. Peak <laughs> Grant Making is the new uh, the new nomenclature there.
4: I know. Who would have thought GMN rolled off the tongue easier, but we got used to it, so exciting new times for them. Um, I thought what I would share with your audience is a little update on a blog series that we've been doing over the past two months um, with uh, Glass Pockets, which is our transparency initiative, um, and GrantCraft. So, for the last two months, we've had a blog series available at grantcraft.org slash funding innovation, and it features leaders from philanthropy who are funding at the intersection of innovation and technology. And for me, I had a really fun time editing this series because the thought leaders that we invited to write really took a lot of different angles. So we heard, for example, from the Bush Foundation about how they're funding The development of the process of innovation so they're not even funding innovative ideas they're funding how people develop innovative solutions Um, and then you have others like the Vodafone foundation which has its wireless innovation project competition um, and and a bunch of others who have shared just really interesting approaches for how they tackle this strategy and so folks can read those blog posts but then um, we also have an event that's tied to this that's open for funders and nonprofit professionals for free um, out of our San Francisco office on April 13th and it will be live streamed as well so anyone who's interested in hearing from um, funders I think we have we have Jim Bildner from Draper Richards Kaplan foundation we have someone from Cedric Brown from the core Center for social impact We have Shannon Farley from Fast Forward, and then Danny Harris from the Knight Foundation. They'll all be panelists at this free event, and they were all part of the blog series as well. So again, talking about the intersection of funding innovation and funding technology.
2: That's terrific, and we'll post uh, the the link to the Foundation Center of San Francisco uh, site so that folks can go directly to that information.
4: Sounds great. Um, So that was one update, and then, Maybe the only other update that's worth sharing is a little teaser about a project that we're working on through our IssueLab platform, um, issuelab.org, which regular listeners to your show have heard me talk about, but it's one of my favorite things that we do because it solves the problem of the black hole of knowledge from the social sector because we organize published reports across a variety of issues and approaches, and so coming out in beta form this spring, we're going to have a, a part of the site that's solely devoted to sharing evaluations. Um, and part of why I'm so excited about this is, I think, especially having worked at a foundation, I know how much foundations spend on commissioning evaluations, and then so often it sits on a desk read by very few people and that knowledge is never shared with folks. So for me, I'm really excited to have a place that hosts and also encourages the sharing of different evaluations so that foundations around the globe can learn from what others know. So Mm -hmm. if you want to get in on the beta version, um, feel free to send us evaluations that you want shared, and I'll probably be back on the show in a few months to announce that that beta has launched.
2: That's terrific. Well, we're also uh – Uh, posting today over on Facebook where we are uh, programming live today um, the link to issuelab.org so the folks can uh, pick that up there uh, and connect with you directly at Issue Lab.
4: Terrific. Thanks, Ted.
2: You're welcome. Um, So anything, uh, any other update? Those are some pretty good updates um, from uh, San Francisco and uh, from Issue Lab for Foundation Center
4: today. Yeah, no, I, uh, I know you have a packed show, so I'll let you get to it.
2: We do. Well, Jim Bokoff, thank you so much again for being back here uh, from the Foundation Center, bringing us up to date uh, on the Foundation Center Minute. Thank you. Thanks. And now we're going to head right on over to page two. Anthony Alonzo is the president of Advantage Plus uh, and has 25 years of experience in direct marketing. Uh, he's often called on as an industry leader, uh, speaking on telephone, plan giving, and social media marketing. His expertise ranges uh, in education, healthcare, social services, and the arts markets. Uh, over the last 25 years, he has had a very uh, prestigious list of clients uh, that he has uh, worked with. Uh, from uh, the United States Naval Academy uh, Foundation to Oxford University um, and uh, London School of Economics, uh, just to name a few. Uh, Anthony has uh, also been uh, a tireless servant to AFP. Uh, He has served three terms on the AFP Foundation Board, uh, founding member of the AFP Industry Partners Council, and is currently an officer of the New Jersey Chapter uh, Board of AFP. Uh, he and his clients, and the expertise that he has brought uh, to the industry, uh, have raised well over 250 million dollars uh, for the charitable sector within just the last five years. Uh, welcome here to the nonprofit coach, Anthony Alonso.
1: Thank you for having me, Ted. I'm glad to be on. Uh,
2: you had some great people on before me, so I,
1: I, I hope I can be as good. <laughs>
2: Uh, Well, I'm sure you can. I mean, you are a noted expert in the industry um, and certainly with a lot of experience uh, with success in telephone uh, outreach for fundraising and for prospecting. So I know we want to cover a very broad Uh, range of services that you have expertise in, Uh, but uh, we are um, letting folks know that this is the ultimate telephone success podcast that we're creating here today, Uh, so we want to make sure that we're covering uh, a wide spectrum of the use of telephone in fundraising. So, um, if you don't mind, let's start off uh, by telling us a little bit about Advantage Plus.
1: Sure. Uh, Advantage uh, celebrated its 20th year last year. Uh, We start with the premise of not being a telemarketing firm per se, uh, but being a fundraising consulting firm that used the mass instruments of mail and phone to reach out to to the lower end of the giving pyramid and move those folks from the lower end to become mid-level donors and ultimately to major gifts. So the premise was, if this was a major gift solicitation, what would we do? How would we use the mass instruments of mail and phone to personalize the appeal as much as we can and to solicit folks. Because we're not, I always like to say, we're not in the business of selling vacuum cleaners. Uh, we're in the business of raising friends. And so how you do that is very different than how you sell any any other type of service through telemarketing. Uh, and so the approach we take is to uh, send out pre-call letters signed by a volunteer or multiple volunteers, making the ask. Isn't an ideal face-to-face solicitation. That's what you would do. And then have that followed up by telephone solicitations by uh, by callers, either at a university setting or offsite if you're using a firm uh, that specializes in this. Uh, the end result is higher average gift sizes, better conversations with prospects. Um, in essence, the goal always has to be to leave everyone you speak to feeling good about the institution. Uh, like I, I always like to say, whether they say yes, no, or maybe, that's irrelevant. If we can do that effectively the money will follow. So that, in essence, is our philosophy with every one of our client institutions. Mm.
2: You know, I think if... if, I can't think of any other... Form of fundraising that has been more disparaged uh, than telephone outreach, telephone uh, fundraising, telephone solicitation, uh, whatever you know nomenclature we want to use. Yet, as I as I remind people, and you certainly uh, in your work are able to remind people, is that it can be highly successful. Uh, so while it can be a target, and certainly it can be abused. Um, it is, I think, uh, an important part of a well run, multifaceted fundraising approach uh, because not every donor responds to a direct mail letter by itself. So let's, let's sort of shift into, um, I think, some of the, the, the bedrock um, uh, innovation that you brought into the industry many years ago, um, and that is that this is an integrated approach to fundraising. This isn't just opening the phone book and calling people and begging for money, which I think a lot of folks that are not, you know, a professional in this business might think that that's what's happening. But there's a lot of work and strategy that goes into a successful campaign that integrates phone into other services, and it's through that integration that you actually get success. Is that is that right?
1: That's correct. And, uh, we, we typically spend – two to three months uh, designing a program with, a, with one of our client partners before we ever make a phone call. Uh, and that stra and, and again, whether you're using an outside firm or, or you're doing it yourself, that's the strategy that needs to go into place. It's not just a matter of uh, deciding to make cold calls one day. That strategy is not going to ever be successful. Uh, you have to plan out what the, what the prospect wants to know about what the prospect's interests are. Uh, look at the data do analysis of the data, set specific ask amounts based on previous giving before you ever make a phone call. Uh, otherwise, you're setting yourself up for failure. I think another integral part is to make sure that you have very trained uh, callers making the phone calls. Uh, you know, in the old days, uh, the assumption was that volunteers are the best callers because they, can, they know the organization and can make the phone calls. The problem with that strategy is a lot of times it's difficult to get people to come in uh, when they volunteer, uh, a well-run effort where you're trying to reach out to, you know, five, ten, fifteen thousand 15,000 people requires people to show up. Uh, it's also difficult to train them to make the ask. Uh, a lot of times they like to call and say, you gave $50 last year, can you get $50 again? There's no strategy to upgrade, and it's difficult to train volunteers to do that. So there's a reliability issue there. Uh, so there has to be some very good training of the calling staff, uh, and that begins with you're not making telemarketing calls. Uh, yeah, I like to say you're making friend-raising calls. Uh, you want right. to thank the thank the prospect and inform the prospect, and if if you do that, the money will follow. Right, isn't part of the the
2: issue that charities need to take into account in their strategy of using phones um, is the sort of desensitized nature of the um, of your prospect pool. Uh, in other words. Um, While you may have a great group of volunteers, they're calling into households that um, are already sort of sensitized to rejecting phone, uh, to not having a conversation. And so I think while there might have been a day where um, successful um, uh, volunteer phone-a-thon could be uh, truly successful, uh, and I think there are still um, circumstances where limited use of volunteers Uh, can be used. Um, It really takes a well-trained professional to have a dialogue with someone who is immediately probably starting, inclined not to have the call, but perhaps by talking to a professional are happy that they had the call by the time the call ends. I
3: would
1: would agree with that. And that's part of why we always recommend that a pre-call letter be sent out so that it's not a cold call. Uh, folks, let's face it, are inundated nowadays with telemarketing calls uh, from from every, every area of society. Uh, what a lot of those calls have in common is that you, and, and your audience has probably heard this at home, uh, the person will get on the phone and it goes something like this. How are you today? Uh, I feel that's a very disingenuous question from an outsider that doesn't know you. Uh, because, you know, the person on the other end probably doesn't care if they don't know you or they're not part of the organization what those telemarketers need is an icebreaker. And so they're trying to draw the prospect into a conversation where we recommend the pre-call letter is the pre-call letter in essence, coming from the client says, you're going to receive a phone call. You're going to be asked for money. And here's why. And I like that letter to have what, what I call the sizzle, uh, which is this is why I give back. This is why I believe this hospital is great for our community. This is how it saved my life or my, my mother's life or Etc., and then the case for support, which I like to call the stake, and then a specific ask amount. What that does is it really changes the dynamic of that phone call from a confrontational telemarketing call to a call where the caller is saying, did you receive the letter from Mary Smith or Jane Smith, whoever the letter signer was, and that draws the prospect in rather than how are you today uh, into a yeah. conversation. Yes, I received that letter. Uh, how did you feel about the goals that Jane Smith or Mary Smith wrote in the letter? And so there now becomes a dialogue, and it doesn't become your standard telemarketing call. We already know when calling into the process. Right, because you're, prospect, you're
2: referencing something that um, they they have a connection to. To maybe someone that they don't necessarily know, but about an organization that they care about, because you've done that pre-planning, because you uh, not just the letter ahead of time, but understand a little bit about who you're calling and why you're calling them. Uh, again, back to not just opening up the phone book, but a lot of sort of data analysis and sort of uh, you know metadata that comes into um, or you know big data where you're drawing in all sorts of. Uh, uh, valuable information uh, into that call um, to make sure that that person is known and valued and the conversation can be one that's meaningful.
1: And, and that's critical. And the letter also serves to thank uh, the prospect as well. And more importantly, Ted, uh, it puts the letter signer, the volunteer letter signer in the role of the solicitor rather than the caller. Uh, the caller right. becomes a facilitator. Uh, they're they're calling to follow up on that letter. The solicitor is le- the letter signer, which uh, best practices are that that's a volunteer. That's right, that's right.
2: And, and when, help me help our audience sort of understand um, the evolution over. You've got 25 years of experience. Uh, because I think, you know, the telephone outreach and the advent of social media and, and how you cost-effectively integrate direct mail, and all of that as an integrated campaign is not where telephone solicitation started. So can you share with us a little bit of your experience over 25 years and where this became uh, much more uh, cost-effective by making it much more interactive?
1: Correct. Sure. Uh, well, uh, you know, going back 40 years with the first Yale campaign, uh, which was conducted by the by the great Bill Fried uh, from IDC, which you may be familiar with, that, um it was it was just a matter of picking up the phone and, and calling folks, and you reached them because they had landlines. Line uh, over time, there's been an evolution, a proliferation of caller IDs, people using cell phones, uh, people using social media, texting, and so. Uh, while the reach rates are no longer what they used to be, used to be 25 years ago, we'd say we can reach 90% of donors and 85% of non-donors, acquisition prospects we've never given before. Those rates now are significantly lower. A good program that's well-run is going to reach 70% of donors and somewhere in the neighborhood of 50% of non-donors because of all the caller ID and and the cell phone usage. Um, So that's been a shift. In order to combat that shift, there has to be an integration with direct mail for those people that are not picking up their phone uh, and not being reached out to, uh, email even. We're we're sending out email pre-call material before the phone call instead of sending out a, a hard copy letter, in many cases with links back to videos uh, for clients, so that if they're not opening their mail, they're getting the email uh, solicitation. Uh, so that integration has to happen. With many of our clients, we also on social media let them know, uh, the, the folks that, that are in tune with with the client's social media, that phone calls will be starting and that they should look out for a letter or a pre-call email. So we've tried to coordinate it all together. At the end, the well-run program is sending out a direct mail to those that were unreachable. Now, I hear the same things you you hear, obviously, about telemarketing and it being dead, the problem is that it's the second most effective way still to raise to raise money for an institution other than face-to-face. It raises more That's than direct right. mail, uh, and and, there's no, and it also gets higher average gift sizes. So there's no way around that back still. So even though the reach rates are lower uh, and, and it's get, getting more and more difficult to reach folks, it still yields the best results in terms of average and dollars with the exception of face-to-face. And obviously you can't reach out to, you know, 20,000 people. Uh, through face-to-face. Right.
2: So it, I, I think you've, you've shared some important data here, and I think those are uh, important pieces of information for our listeners uh, to take back as they're they're looking at planning, because I think telephone outreach can be um, a difficult thing for a board of directors to feel comfortable signing on to. So it's, it's important to understand how it becomes integrated and what um, rates of success Um, you can expect, and of course, um, with your 25 years experience and with the integration that you bring uh, to programs, um, you know, you're sharing that you can expect with a professional program that's well-integrated and well-planned to reach 70% of your donor base. Well, you're certainly not going to um, uh, know that you've reached 70% of your donor base uh, with direct mail alone, Um, and you're certainly not going to get that kind of response rate. When you're looking at your donor base and you've, you have reached um, the sort of the mark that you've set, 70%, what donate uh, donation rate would you expect in an average program? Obviously, it, it depends on, you know, how active the program has been and how current the donors are. But um, in an average program where you're able to reach 70% of your donors, what would you expect the donation rate to be?
1: Sure, that's,
2: that's obviously,
1: as I'm sure, a pretty complex question because it also depends on the organization. Um, that's right. But I'll I'll try to take a crack at it as best I can. Uh, if you're if you're in a university setting, uh, then and, and you've got current donors who are one year out, so between uh, I'll call that between 12 and, and 18 months out, you're going to get a, a pledge rate uh, from that uh, the group that you've reached. Which is going to be 75 to 80% uh, of renewals. And so, if the so program is so if well I run. Stop, if, I can, right. if
2: I can stop you there. So 75 to 80% of 70% of your donor base um, are likely to give. Again, you're, as a university, and so there's a, a high affinity uh, rate there. Um, well, that same university is not likely to see uh, that rate of return in direct mail alone or in email
1: not not even close uh, it's going to require a significant amount of mailings they'll probably have to mail six seven times a year and they still won't achieve that amount of return uh, and where the the big difference here comes in is in the average gift size because if you have an opportunity to speak to someone and ask them for a specific amount of money you're likely to raise more than if you send a direct mail piece I mean we've seen that from all of the numbers and we also do direct mailings uh, where people made a gift in the past are likely to just write another check for $200. If you have an opportunity to ask them to stretch their way towards making a $400 gift, et cetera, uh, they may be able to do that. All right. And do you see, do you have statistics that
2: show that it also, the phone calling also affects direct mail and email? In other words, is there a lift across the board because of the ability to have a conversation with someone as opposed to? just expecting them to open the email or open the letter, read it and come to the conclusion themselves rather than having a dialogue?
1: There's usually a significant lift uh, in in direct mail. We've we've seen trends where even when we don't reach someone, when they receive a direct mail piece or upgrade on their own, because they've Mm -hmm. read the letter potentially that we sent as a pre-call, which had a specific ask amount on it. They may have dodged the call, but it, it's a call to action to them to give more when they get the next direct mail solicitation. Right. What we've also found is that when you're reaching out to, to folks and actually having a conversation with them and thanking them, obviously that generates uh, better support long-term, even through direct mail. And we've seen those trends when we have a program. Likely it can deter from having a, an average gift size that's higher with the phone. A lot of, a lot of nonprofits like to send out direct mail first, and then call to those that are non-respondents. When we've seen that happen, what you've essentially done is taken out the best donors who are going to respond to that direct mail and potentially upgrade from an opportunity to actually reach out and try to upgrade them over the phone and thank them. And, you know, I know people say, well, I, I you know, I don't like receiving phone calls. Well, if you have a credible yeah. reason to go to them and thank them and, and, and tell them what's going on, within your organization, I don't see why nonprofits should ever be apologizing for making a thank you call and being good stewards of how those gifts are being used, which is what you're doing yeah. when you're actually having and a And I think that's,
2: again, it's, it's just over time because there certainly are lots of folks out there who make very bad phone calls, um, who do abuse the privilege of having a conversation. Um, so it puts, I think, more of the emphasis for our listeners today Um, to enter into this with eyes wide open and understanding that, um, and, you know, we're not promoting one firm over another, but working with professionals who have a long um, history of experience and doing that in multiple sectors, because, as you mentioned, you know, you shared some statistics that you would expect from a university setting. Uh, You would expect in other settings that those numbers would be less, uh, but still in an integrated campaign more than direct mail or email by themselves.
1: Indeed. I mean, if you look at healthcare, that same number we discussed of 75 to 80% for current donors would be more like 50 to 55%. And as I always like to say, when I speak across the country, you're only as good as your last visit when it comes to healthcare. Uh, So there it becomes even more critical that you have that personal touch uh, because out of sight, out of mind, they could use another healthcare provider. So it becomes even more important to have that touch. And then the other difficult thing that in healthcare that that boards uh, have a hard time wrapping around when when they're presented with is that acquisition in healthcare really becomes a break-even proposition. There isn't the same type of connection when you're an alum at a university um, as when you're a grateful patient at a hospital. So in essence, a board needs to decide that it's worth buying donors because it's gonna be break-even, even with telephone calls. With direct mail, usually it's more expensive. Uh, With with phone, you can break even making acquisition calls, but they're buying donors. Those donors will then renew the following year at 50 to 60%. So you're able to build a base over time. The problem with institutions like I just read recently, as I'm sure you did, that Stanford stopped making phone calls altogether, uh, the problem with that strategy is that long-term, you're not building that base and moving people up the giving pyramid from the bottom up. And so when the major gifts dry out, when those mid-level donors are no longer there, you're left with, uh, with a real dilemma, uh, even with your major gift uh, uh, solicitations, because there's no pool being pushed up the giving pyramid. Yeah, because it
2: becomes a very short-sighted um, view, um, you know, just as, you know, sort of the, the flip side of that. Uh, is a board of directors that looks at the uh, the amount of money that comes in uh, through an acquisition campaign versus uh, a, a planned giving campaign or a legacy campaign and makes the decision that they're only going to do planned giving uh, because that's right. where the money is. Well, yeah, that's right. nice if you've had someone that came before you who took the time to build a thoughtful giving program and build those relationships uh, because it's not all that often and certainly not enough, Uh, for a program to succeed, uh, for someone to only make a planned gift, to have not had a relationship and to have not had that that relationship cultivated over time, uh, that would be quite rare. Um, And with that, I'm going to take a quick break, uh, and when we uh, come back, I want to actually have you talk to us about... Um, something that probably people don't expect us to talk about today on uh, the Ultimate Telephone Success Podcast, and that is the use of the telephone in plan giving. So how does that work? And we will be right back after this break.
5: When you have a great idea and need to work with others to bring it to life, how do you do it? Sometimes it's tough because the people you work with are in different places, with different schedules, using different devices. Google Apps lets you bring ideas to life with others. Here's how. Start with email that offers more. Gmail does more than send and receive emails It connects people and lets you chat instantly while viewing a snapshot of your team's relevant activities and access to everything they shared with you. With Google Docs, there's only one version for everyone to work on. Share easily with the right people without email attachments or compatibility hassles. And work together on the same Docs at the same time in a way that simply makes sense. Edit and interact easily with integrated social commenting. Google Calendar makes it easy to share schedules and find times to meet, and schedule or update meetings with a few clicks. Everyone can't be in the same place at the same time, But Google Apps lets you work together from any place. With multi-way video chat, you'll feel like you're all in the same room. While screen sharing and integration with Google Docs lets you work with more people from anywhere, on any device, even on your mobile phone or tablet. Work with any team at any time, from any place, on any device. Google apps work in the future today to learn more, go to Google.com slash apps.
2: And a uh, programming note, uh, the nonprofit coach radio show uh, will be on break for the next couple of weeks as I will be uh, on business uh, uh, in Europe. Uh, I will actually be uh dedicating a clock tower in Bulgaria, in Voditsa, Bulgaria, uh, for a, uh, a donor uh, program that we have been uh, instituting in that, uh, for that village uh, for a number of years. Um, and uh, then I will have uh, some uh, partner meetings in Zurich and some partner meetings in London before heading back. And when I get back, Uh, we will be having uh, the Big Nonprofit uh, Coach Radio Show, uh, Big Seventh Anniversary Show, if you can believe. Uh, This show will be turning seven years young uh, on April 18th at 12 noon Eastern. Uh, And our producer, uh, Diane Peach, has been working on an incredible uh, lineup of luminaries who will uh, be coming on, uh, sharing their best tips, uh, talking about uh, their time on the show, Uh, and uh, making sure that uh, everyone uh, goes away from our big 7th anniversary show with uh, a lot of uh, tips that they can take right into their program uh, to make their next year uh, a big success. Um, So make sure you mark your calendar, April 18th, 12 noon Eastern. uh, We will be here for our big 7th anniversary show.
0: Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart.
2: And we are back here live with Anthony Alonzo, president of Advantage Plus, 25 years experience, Uh, in direct marketing, and he is helping us today uh, prepare you with the ultimate telephone success uh, podcast. Anthony, uh, planned giving by phone? Wow, you got to fill in the blanks on that one.
1: Sounds sounds crazy. Um, (laughs) After uh, 20 years in the business, uh, about five years ago, uh, somebody said, have you ever tried this? And, And I was a skeptic, and I've been doing this for years. Uh, using telephone outreach and solicitation. I said, but I was approached by a client. We've got a base of prospects, and we want to identify some folks uh, for plan-giving opportunities. And I said, well, we'll take a crack at developing something. And thus was born a process where uh, we we use a, a pre-call a letter, which is more of a thank you than a solicitation, signed by a volunteer who's made the ultimate uh, gift uh, to the nonprofit. That's then followed up by a, and and your your uh, listeners can do this on their own. It's followed up by a caller. In in our particular case, we our corporate headquarters is in Vegas, and we have callers there uh, who calls to thank the donor and to identify interest. Once there's an identification uh, identification of interest, that call then gets passed on plan giving professional who closes the gift. Now in our particular case, we have. Uh, plan-giving professionals with 20-plus years' experience all across the country who take those calls on from our callers in Vegas. Uh, we call them Tier 2 specialist callers. So they've worked okay. at different nonprofits everywhere in the country. Uh, in in the case of some of your listeners, it's a matter of handing it off to their plan-giving officers or their major gift officers to then uh, follow up on that. What we found is mm-hmm. that the reason people aren't making bequests. The reason people aren't making planned gifts is they're not being asked because most organizations have a small budget with one planned giving director, and they can't reach out to the masses. Uh, So we do a lot of, as you mentioned earlier, with the regular uh, phoning, we do a lot of analysis of data before we actually select prospects for the planned giving calling. Uh, And what we're looking at is loyalty. How many folks have, have given for 20 consecutive years? For 15. The amount is not as important as the longevity in terms of the loyalty is what we found in our testing uh, and who's more likely to make a bequest or some sort of planned gift. Uh, it's really based on number of years of giving, not the amount. Mm-hmm. So
2: so in, in looking at the data, you then pull that out. What Walk us through sort of how does that phone call happen, because this would seem to me – uh, to be, again, here on the Ultimate Telephone Success Podcast. Uh, this is sort of the ultimate telephone call uh, for the ultimate gift uh, because it's highly complex. It's very personal. Uh, and, but what you're talking about is turning giving into a legacy. Um, so how do you do that and how do you start that dialogue by phone?
1: Well, the initial dialogue is, is as I said, uh, from from a you, know, you can even use a volunteer caller, uh, who is following up on a on a on a letter that they've received, thanking them, where that volunteer is telling their own personal story, as to why they've made the ultimate gift. Um, then it's followed up by a caller, who thanks them for all their years of giving, and who engages them in a conversation about that giving, and asks them again about that letter. Uh, and whether they've ever thought about making a a a planned gift or an estate gift, whether they have any interest in that um, the moment that there's some interest that it gets handed out uh, that call would get handed off an appointment would be made to speak to someone who knows about all those complexities, so that you're not okay. expecting the volunteer caller or your student caller or even a uh, one of our callers from, from our calling center to actually be able to speak to those complexities. We're then transferring that appointment over to either a plan giving professional at the institution or to one of our plan giving professionals. And as I said, we have folks all across the country. Every single one of them has 20 plus years experience in plan giving to the nonprofit sector. So they're very familiar on, on all the intricacies of that and closing the gift. They've also been trained by the institution. If if you happen to hire a firm like mine, uh, so they've met with the institution and they've trained with the institution, so they become an extension of the plan giving office of the institution, and and an extend a knowledgeable extender
2: who can have a conversation and knows what uh, questions to ask, what clues to listen to, to determine whether or not this is uh, could become a serious prospect. So this is really a way to identify. Um, really good prospects for your plan giving in a way that you might have to have a lot of events. You might have to talk to a lot of people. And when you're lightly staffed in this professional arena, is there any other way to do that?
1: Uh, there isn't. I mean, we can, we can reach, to, reach a thousand folks in, in two months. That would take uh, a plan giving director probably eight years, if If not longer, to reach that same number, uh so I mean those programs are relatively small they're five hundred or a thousand names because we're reaching out to a select group of prospects. but let me give you an idea from a from a client that lets me share numbers the uh, a prep school in Pennsylvania, the Hill School, where we took on a program for them and reached out to a thousand a thousand people uh we We came back with over five million dollars. In, in closed plan gifts, mostly bequests uh, from people. So, so that was so that was money to So this wasn't
2: just teeing up prospects. You actually through the process were able to close bequests.
1: That's correct. That's correct. Over over five million. The, the, those specialist callers that we have actually will close the bequest. They're they're trained professionals in in plan giving. Okay. And, and they become an extension, and in other words, a part-time plan giving officer for the institution. Uh, and, and so we handed back five million in closed bequests to that institution. And we've done that with healthcare and several other clients. Um, but that's a client which uh, we've got showcased on our website and, and uh, we use in our marketing materials. So I always like to point out to them because obviously we have permission to use their name. So these programs could be very successful whether they're done in-house. Or outsource. Uh, most of the the outsourcing you see out there are just identification programs. Somebody's calling, saying, "Are you interested?" and then handing it back to the institution. Um, my my problem with that, as I'm sure you know, Ted, from years of experience, is that so many nonprofits just have limited budgets. So if right. you're handing out handing back 200 250 leads that may be qualified, they still have to try to reach those 200 200 Two hundred fifty leads,
2: yeah, yeah what what did and, that really get them if they still don't have the staff to follow up right
1: that's correct, that's correct, and that's why we developed this process uh, where we in essence hire uh, plan giving professionals to to close the gifts for our clients yeah, so it it's
2: sort of like hiring a you know a virtual uh, information technology person or very you've got basically a virtual plan giving staff that then becomes available to you to be able to have authoritative questions and answer sessions uh, with folks who already care about you.
1: That's correct. That's correct. And and they would respond to any request as if they were working uh, with the institution, uh, branded with the institutional information. In this particular case, Advantage becomes transparent. Uh, it looks and feels yeah, it, like it's someone from the institution.
2: It's it's a, it's an innovative approach, but it builds off from other methods that are already being used and probably, you know, again, not thinking of planned giving, thinking of that as being, uh, you know, very individual, very high-end. Uh, but, again, because it's so individual and because it's so private, um, even having you know big plan giving seminars or something of that sort that is sort of the dream of most nonprofits to get prospects together uh, to learn about plan giving, uh, ultimately this is something that should be handled privately and should have the opportunity for people to have private discussions with individuals. And so uh, basically bringing a larger team to that market just by the very nature of it is likely to uh, unearth uh, additional opportunities.
1: And a lot less expensive than hiring three or five uh, plan giving directors. That's right. That, that's right. Yeah.
2: Uh, we've got about seven minutes left here on the show. I know surprise. there's just so much to cover. Uh, but rounding out the ultimate telephone success podcast, what else do we need to make sure we share with the audience today from your experience, if they really want to be using the telephone as part of an integrated fundraising campaign successfully?
1: I think the key is going going back to what I said initially, and that's personalization. We are in a business where raising friends is, the, is our uh, primary responsibility. Stewardship is our primary responsibility. And so every, th- every whether you outsource and are looking at firms, you should listen to their phone calls. You should listen to their callers. You should go visit them. Uh, Too many times I feel that, you know, uh, folks are outsourcing uh, their most precious commodity to a firm without doing the research. Uh, Uh, Make sure that that firm is is hiring quality people to represent you uh, if you are doing that. If you are doing it internally, make sure that you are letting go people who are not representing you well. A lot of times nonprofits hire people who are not effective and then they're afraid to let them go for a variety of reasons. They don't want to upset somebody, they don't, there's politics involved. Uh, okay. But you want people who will represent you on the phone, uh, who are personalizing the approach, who are good stewards and who are leaving everybody they speak to feeling good about the institution.
2: Yeah, and again, you, you, while you can have um, the volunteers involved in the process, even having volunteers involved should be professionally managed.
1: That's correct. That's correct. And many times it's not. Uh, and, again, for, for a variety of reasons that we've spoken about, if you tell a volunteer, here's the ask amount, it's 200 and they don't uh, ask the person for 200 they say, can you do the same thing you did last year? It's hard to manage that person, but you've got to manage that person and say, here's what we're trying to achieve. Here's why we want you to make that ask, that specific ask. That's right uh and right. and and very politely asking to co- to not come back if they're not doing that in fact because at the end of the day it's hurting your program and your ability to upgrade uh your donors and and that's that's what exactly. you're doing it for
2: so um i now looking at the time uh, only a few minutes left here uh, what are those key things that, that uh, anyone listening to this podcast should be asking of a firm, should be doing when they um, engage a firm? Uh, you said, you know, make sure that you go and actually listen to live calls. Um, what, are, what are some of the other things that should be taken into consideration uh, to determine whether or not this is the firm for you, this is a firm that you can trust with your prospects
1: and donors? Well, I always like to say it's centered around the callers. Always centered around the callers. So listen, listen to calls, either remotely, which most firms will can allow you to do, or go visit the firm in person if you have the opportunity and the budget to do it. Uh, the next thing would be find out who their callers are and who they hire. Uh, the average age of our caller is 57. We purposely hire folks with life experience. We want them to have conversations. We don't want them reading a script. Ask the firm whether they're willing to bring their callers to you for training. You know, it makes all the difference. One of our clients, for example, is is the US Military Academy. We fly our callers to West Point every year for a tour. We think it's imperative that they get a feel for the organization. Ask them whether they're willing to do that. Um, Make sure that they're sending out some sort of pre-call piece ahead of the phone call, and that they're working with you on data implementation and planning and they have that in-depth analysis. And I would say, make sure that you're speaking to other clients of theirs.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and,
2: and also talk to us uh, just very briefly uh, about testing of campaigns to, to get the, the methodology right, because there isn't just one approach in terms of you know, email, phone, direct mail, direct mail, phone, email. You know. In other words, what is the right approach should, like everything else in fundraising, be tested and then go back and hone the strategy to meet the, the particulars of your program and your donor
1: base. I think that's a very good point, Ted, and, and uh, I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, testing is critical. Uh, ask the firm whether they'll do testing or do testing yourself. Um, some folks are going to be better off, younger folks, for example, solicit it through email. They're not picking yeah. up their phone. Uh, but you don't want to assume that. You want to test. You want to do a small mailing. One of the, one of the, I think, critical things when you're doing these pre-call mailings is if you're going to reach out to 10,000 people, you don't mail out to 10,000 people at once and try to reach them within a week. You stagger the mailings. Send out 1,000 letters. Follow that up. What that does is it gives you an opportunity to identify uh, whether the letter is working, whether the ask and answer working, Uh, and then change your strategy, tinker with it as you go along, identify which groups or segments in your database are not responding well to the telephone solicitation, pull them out, move them to a direct mail or an email solicitation,
3: see how they do there.
1: That's right. I mean, those, those are critical things in any program and things we like to do. We don't mail to everybody at once, uh, because I feel I have a responsibility. To my clients, to go back at the uh, to to not go back at the end and go this didn't work because I'd rather fix it as we go along.
2: Anthony, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna have to say we have uh, we have now finished all of our best advice, the ultimate telephone success podcast. Uh, Just round it out for us by making sure that our listeners know how they can reach you.
1: Sure, Uh, our website is uh, www.afrcplusplus.com. Uh, I could be reached at anthony at afrcplusplus.com. And uh, you can feel free to reach us on uh, our uh, toll-free number at 855-575-7587. If you want to reach me directly, my extension is 101.
2: Terrific. Anthony Alonzo, President of Advantage Plus, thank you for being our guest here. On the Nonprofit Coach, and we have posted your website over on the Facebook feed. Thanks, everyone.
0: My You've been pleasure listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad friendly podcast at TedHart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach.